the lie that poetry tells is constant as the truth itself without the lies and the false beliefs where would we be where would we be welcome to the state of the theory podcast i'm hannah and i'm an india and we are your theory doctors Hello. Welcome back. How have you been, Hannah? I've been good. Full disclosure, we're recording these two episodes on the same day. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is episode part, part two of a two-parter. Uh, if you listened last week, uh, then you know that we talked about historic tourism and the, the conflict between the past and the present that exists in, in any space that is that uses history in some way to, to do some work in the present, whether it's entertainment or education or, uh, or political work in terms of, you know, pilgrimage sites for the nation, state or whatever. Um, if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, we might suggest go and listen to that first before, before this one. Uh, uh, this follows on from last week's episode where we, last week we spoke in more detail about uh, aspects of loss that are associated with the commodification of the past into the present and here we're going to talk about uh, the flip side of that which is uh, narratives of the past that can be recovered uh, the narratives of the past that weren't valued uh, uh, before and that can be highlighted and, and brought into the center today yes um, we're using we're going to start with two Two examples, um, both in the United States, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, the mm-hmm. first is the Whitney Plantation in Louisiana, mm-hmm. uh, which opened recently. It's one of mm-hmm. the one of the new uh, plantation sites where visitors can go and be toured around mm-hmm. the the grounds and uh, and the the house, the main house. Um, plantation tourism is a thing in the United States. Obviously, it it, it gets its mm-hmm. It's the critiques of plantation tourism are, are sort of well known. So just to go into it, obviously, plantations in the United States is where the the bulk of uh, slave work, slave labor was done. Primarily located in the South, of course, in the U.S. Um, and the houses themselves are now considered to be quite grand and beautiful, and they have become sort of museums um, and also sites for like venues for events, for entertainment or for mm-hmm. weddings or that kind of thing. And, um, and the critique of course is that really horrific uh, abuses of uh, human rights were commonplace and were built into the system of plantations generally. So to to visit and then of course to, to get married at a plantation yeah. of course is seen now by many to be um, ethically suspect of course, I would agree with that position. Yeah. The Whitney plantation is distinctive mm. And that it entered this uh, arena of mm. plantation tourism, so to speak, uh, as an alternative plantation tour and as an alternative plantation history. And mm. that is the history specifically of slavery mm. and the day-to-day, but also long-term kind of lives and mm. livelihoods of the slaves who lived mm. on the plantation. Um, I have been there. You mm. have not. Yeah. Uh, I visited about a year and a half ago with my mom. And uh, it's fascinating. Mm. Um, and I do, I, I would recommend mm. 
a vis- if you're going to visit a plantation, it's the one that I would mm. suggest going mm. to. Um, it was bought the, the land and the old house was bought by a wealthy guy mm. a number of years ago, um, and he was going to turn it into you know a standard sort of plantation. Mm. And then he re- he acquired all of the kind of documents and paperwork mm. that had mm. been associated with the plantation, mm. and then the land over the course of its kind of like so-called life. And as he read through a lot of the documentation, Mm. he realized that actually what happened Mm. in this place was really horrific and the history history of that probably needed to be told. And so he put together this sort of alternative museum and the place itself is run by African Americans. the history itself is really substantial and robust. There's a mm. lot of data that's mm. included in the tour. Mm. Um, what's really interesting about it is all of the key bits of the visit and the mm. site have had to be rebuilt because yeah. the, the old house is still there, mm. but most of the slave quarters um, were destroyed mm. um, at various points for various reasons. Mm. And because the tour centers on mm. Uh, the lives of the people who lived in the slave quarters mm-hmm. they've had to rebuild mm-hmm. most of it yeah. and so in terms of a kind of um, you know like old authenticity yeah. it was destroyed it was never mm-hmm. possible mm-hmm. to preserve that because yeah. no one cared yeah. to yeah. preserve yeah. it it wasn't yeah. considered history yeah. so they've rebuilt um, they've had to move certain things because mm-hmm. the slave quarters historically were further away from the house, mm. for example, so they've done this. And they tell you about this whole process. They tell mm. you about the process of creating the museum mm. as well as the process of putting together mm. an African-American, black American slave history. Yeah. And it is, it's, you can see the politics yeah. in, in the sense it's, it's performing a certain politics yes. for the 21st century. Yeah. Um, and it's a really fascinating alternative mm. space. Yeah. The other example... Yes which I have been to, both of us have been to, uh, is the Tenement Museum in Lower East Side in New York, uh, which, where they've taken, uh, it's, it's, it's not in the garment district, but is, is part of uh, the economy, principally fueled by immigration, uh, immigration often from uh, Eastern Europe, uh, where people would set up mini garment factories in their flats in the tenement buildings uh often you'd have like a two-room flat where one room would be the living quarters for the entire family and the other room would be the 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 garment factory uh and they've recreated a couple of these flats uh going back to the way it would have been in the 30s uh uh, and and before the 30s as well um and the you, you get toured around them uh and the narrative of the two is, a, from, from what the way you described the, the Whitney Plantation, the narrative is a similar sort of material history from below. Uh, the emphasis is on the people who lived and worked here, the, the transformation of the economy as the factories got too big to be, to, to be practicable to have them in people's houses, uh, the development of workers' rights, labor movements, um, uh, particular strikes, uh, health and safety, um, mm-hmm. uh, exam- particular instances of fire that caused deaths <coughs> of people, uh, workers, and also connected to, you were, you were explicitly asked to connect it to 
uh, sort of the global capitalist textile and clothing manufacturing industry today. So you were there were explicit connections between uh, the the garment factories and in people's living rooms in twenties and thirties New York versus the sweatshops in in Bangladesh and 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 so on today, um, and the sort of not unlike the past present connections we were making from last time except of course instead of things being lost in this process of telling telling particular stories of the past uh, this here there's a, there's a kind of found history where a history that wasn't valued before you know the, the the slave houses that were that were destroyed the tenement flats that were destroyed because they weren't valued as history have been explicitly reconstructed post hoc and not being presented as this was this this is the authentic thing that has been preserved but this is a particular political decision to reconstruct them in order to tell these stories that are important yeah there's an emphasis on historical accuracy yeah so and there's an emphasis on transparency in terms of the process so yes. the tenement museum really interestingly uh kind of that they advertise and they make clear the process by which they go about restoring. Yes. Yes. So they talk about the archives that they use. Yeah. Um, they're very kind of clear and open about yeah. the way that they go about putting together yeah. both the physical space, because they're beautifully done. Yeah. The, the tenement flats that they've made hmm. are astounding yeah. um, in terms of their attention to detail and their attention mm. to accuracy. Mm. Um, and the the historical records that they use in order to construct that and then on top of that they put the story in place of the the family that lives there Mm. and there's a really clever and it's extremely difficult what they do yeah um there's a really clever linking up of the domestic lives of the people who live there with the the kind of development of global networks of capitalism and the way that migration and commodity capitalism are intertwined and it's it's a really clever use of complicated historical data yeah. with stories that visitors from yeah. many different types of backgrounds yes. can understand and yeah. connect with on yeah. various levels. Yeah. Um, the Whitney Plantation does something quite similar. Yeah. They're very they're very open about the process by which they recovered the stories of yeah. the people um, yeah. who lived on the plantation and who worked on the plantation. Yeah. Um, when you arrive at the Whitney Plantation, you get uh, uh, your ticket is in the form of a lanyard yeah. with uh, an individual who lived on the plantation yeah. and all of the the information about the, the biographical information about yeah. them and images rendering them yeah. um, depending on how much data they have about the person yeah. Yeah. Um, and that is and they tell you exactly where they get that from yeah. that is from the logs that recorded the yeah. people that were owned yeah. on the plantation yeah. and so they're very open and upfront about where the story comes from. If we were to talk about uh, more mainstream historical sites, that information is less interesting and Mm. less important. So if you think about visiting um, the Tower of London, for example, or Edinburgh Castle, Mm. no one talks about where the data, the historical data is held when they go about Mm. kind of Conser- conservating yeah. Yeah. Um, or doing a restoration project. You know, mm. people are less mm. interested in that. Yeah. Here, that process of reading the archive against the grain becomes part of the yeah. the site yeah. itself. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking while you were while you were 
describing that um and perhaps this you know this says more about about me and my interests i guess but it seems that if you think of the the conventional plantation tourism world mm-hmm. or tower of london or edinburgh castle on the one hand and the the windy plantation the museum as as on the other it seems that they're working with sort of different definitions of nostalgia right that mm-hmm. there's, there's a there's a kind of critical nostalgia in the one and a kind of uncritical nostalgia in the other so the 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 mainstream plantation tourism uh, i've i've thankfully never been on been on one of these tours but i've i've read travel guide reports about them and there's clearly a kind of you know gone with the wind deep mm-hmm. south hospitality nostalgia <coughs> you know this is this is I've even uh, I've even read a a, a particular uh, travel guide in a British newspaper. I'll we'll put the link if I can find it, uh, which suggests that the 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 re- recreated, reconstructed, preserved big house uh, was such a is is such a pleasant environment, mm-hmm. and uh, it's such a beautiful place that even after emancipation, none of the none of the freed slaves wanted to leave. They, they they stayed stayed around, which of course you know quite obviously doesn't doesn't take into account any any <laughs> any aspect of the kind of economic privilege that you might need in order to leave, or, yeah. or the kind of the historical record, <laughs> yeah, or, or indeed the kind of community that you might be building with your fellow freed slaves, which explains why you don't leave. You know, you you want to carry on living together and just not be slaves. Yeah. Um, and it seems to me that across across the the Whitney Plantation and the Tenement Museum, this this different critical nostalgia is precisely privileging, particularly othered memories, othered in terms of gender and class and race, uh, as valuable and important and part of the history that is there and can be recovered if, as you say, we are prepared to read the archives against the grain. Mm-hmm. What's very interesting too. Um when I went to the Whitney Plantation, you kind of go to multiple because you go yeah. out from New Orleans, yes. and so you you, yeah. you kind of yeah. go see a few because otherwise, yeah. like you. Yeah. So we we went to the Whitney Plantation first, and what's really interesting um, is we went to another plantation mm-hmm. after the Whitney Plantation, a plantation that actually my mom had been to many years before, mm-hmm. um, because she did a lot of work in the Gulf, mm-hmm. and um, people, you know colleagues took her and she said it was very very different and the reason it was different was because our tour guide was a young african-american man young black man on giving his first tour this i mean he must have been 20 years old maybe giving his first tour um which he told us at the end they had rebuilt Mm -hmm. slave quarters where there hadn't been any before And all of a sudden, there was a story inserted into the tour about the role that the slaves played, as well as some less savory details about slavery on the plantation and the relationship between, a more problematic relationship between the owners and residents of the house and the slaves that they owned. And it was, she said, my mom said it was, it was amazing actually to see what the Whitney plantation's existence had done to the industry more generally, Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden this plantation had to reckon with this completely lost element of an an intentionally lost Mm -hmm. element of their history. And it was, it was really interesting 
to see the transition. And so it's not just that the Whitney plantation creates a space in which an alternative history can be told. It's dragging the rest of those plantations along and, and forcing them to reckon with the story that they're telling. And that was a really, it was really, really, um, it was more meaningful than I thought it would be actually, because I wasn't necessarily looking forward to that, that second visit. Um, but I felt very differently after yeah, yeah. I'd been and, and mm. had this different tour experience that my mom had had mm. to what my mom had had before. The Tenement Museum as well. Mm. I feel like there's something interesting going on about space and you're talking about nostalgia mm. um, and a sort of critical nostalgia. And it seems like in order to create critical nostalgia, there's a tension to creating, to creating three-dimensional space that creates a, a, experiential mm. learning mm-hmm. in a way that more traditional museums don't yeah. necessarily do. Yeah. So while the Tower of London, you're there and you walk on the walls and you see the ravens and you are there and you go through the exhibits, mm. they're exhibits yeah. in a way that the Tenement Museum feels less like an exhibit and is more about recreating down to like as much as they can the dust particles yeah. in the room. Yeah. Yeah the experience of living there yeah. which does something different and the affective response that you have to being in this space the whitney plantation does it as well mm-hmm. by forcing you into um slave quarters mm-hmm. that they've uh, very very carefully reconstructed mm-hmm. um and the story that they tell is one that is emotive mm-hmm. and evocative and designed to use facts to provoke just to play devil's advocate there, yes. is it that, you know, as we said, I haven't been to the Whitney, we've both been, been to the tenement, and I completely agree with the emo- with your point about the emotive nature of the tenement, tenement museum as an experience, mm-hmm. uh, and I can imagine that the Whitney is similar. But is that just because the Tower of, of London exhibits aren't emotive for us and mm. our politics? In other words, if you were particularly patriotically British, you might find the crown jewels emotive. It's just, we don't. Yeah, I don't know, I mean, I wish I had a, I wish I had a British person <laughs> here. I mean, it, the Beefeater tours at the Tower yes. of London are certainly entertaining. Yeah. yeah. Um, and historically yeah. accurate. Yeah. And, mm. and certainly informative. I mean, they yeah, do, yeah. there's a yeah, lot yeah, of research yeah, yeah, in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it feels authentic wandering yes. around with a person yeah. in a really distinctive uniform. Yeah. I don't know, because it, it the Tenement Museum feels different to me f- than the Smithsonian mm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like the and the experience of the Whitney Plantation was different from visit was a different experience to me than visiting um the Smithsonian. I haven't yet been to the African American Museum at the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's still new um, and it's on my list. So if you've been there, uh, yes, let us and know. this and yes. it has a sort of yes. um, the space itself is designed to evoke yeah. nostalgia yeah. or you know, please tell us the the when you were describing the ticket as the lanyard in the in the Whitney plantation reminded mm-hmm. me a bit of the Holocaust Museum in, in DC. Yes. Uh, where you if you haven't been there you you are, you get given the name of a Jewish inmate off a camp. Yes, it's the same. And you, you, through your progress, as you progress through the museum, you 
find out what happened to that person. Yeah. Um, and there is there is something about, I guess, the difference in the emo- in in the emotive aspect of something like this with something like the Tower of London is. It's whether you get your emotions from hierarchies or from the dismantling of hierarchies, right? Mm. So history is sort of being brought down a peg or two, where what matters isn't what happened at the level of the aristocracy or the slave owners. Or the state. Or the state. What happens at the level of the people who the, who the state others, or the economy others. So what happens at the level of the slaves and the factory workers. And if you find that emotive, then then it is doing political work through emotions for you. If you find the 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 concept of a great and glorious British nation uh, emotive, then then maybe seeing the crown jewels will be will be doing a different kind of political emotional work for you. Or if you go to the Edinburgh Castle, which has the stone where Scottish monarchs uh, have been coronated, crowned. Um, and you know, if if you are if your Scottish nationalism is of a particular bent, then you might find that emotional. So I guess it's it's about it's about the politics of emotion on both sides, right? And the the transformation of the space using particular affective connections between people and objects, uh, and the politics of it can go in either direction. Yeah, I feel like the process is. The process is a little bit different. Yeah. Which makes me wonder if the outcome also is... is They're not equivalent. No. Um, because the, there's the, the way that the history gets written... Yes. One is very transparent. Yes. And is about as much detail as possible. Mm. The other one is... The, the final story is performative and aesthetic. And is about... Simplification. Yes. If that makes sense. Mm. So you take complicated histories of monarchs and geopolitical stories and the development of the nation state, which is kind of big picture and complicated, mm. and you make it you make it small and digestible and simplified. And the other is you take as much historical data as you possibly can because mm. a lot of that history is either lost or yeah. difficult to acquire because it's dispersed mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the nature of the archive means that it hasn't been preferenced, so you have to do a lot of digging. We call this reading against the grain. Mm-hmm. And then you try and gather as much as you possibly can yeah. to create as robust and nuanced a story as you can. And they're not... They're not the same. They're it's not the, the same. It's the, it's the affect of empathy versus the affect of... Uh, iconography like idolization right like the the crown jewels might create an emotional response from you but it's uh, an emotional response that is along the lines of worshipping an icon right it's it's the crown jewels aren't if they do create an emotional response for you it's not because they've been brought down to your level it's because they're at a pedestal in terms of Mm. what they symbolize and if you are a member of the cult that it represents. I'm, I'm being um, hyperbolic for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if you are if you are a follower of the cult of the nation state that the conjurers represent, then it will create an emotional response in terms of not not distinct from sort of worship, as it were. It's not perhaps not distinct from 
the kind of emotional response that that a great cathedral might create mm-hmm. but the the Whitney plantation and the tenement museum is creating an emotional response of empathy right where where you are being encouraged to think of something that is not meant to be put on at as at a pedestal because it never has been it's just being valued as because of its mundanity as it were as opposed to because of its excellence yeah question mm. related mm. how do you feel or what do you think mm. is probably more interesting when you see the Kohinoor diamond, for example. Well, I've never seen it. You've what? I've never seen it. I've You've never, never seen it? I've never been to the Tower of London. Ah. I might have been as a child, but I don't remember. I've never been as an adult. I've written about the Kohinoor diamond. Yeah. And I've written about uh, it, it as an object of nostalgia f- that how, how and both colonial and anti-colonial nostalgia can sort of adhere to it, can stick to it as an object. Yeah. And, and how it can be have different meanings and we have podcasted we have podcasted about the Kohinoor diamond a number of years ago yes yeah okay so well two things and I don't know how related they are Mm -hmm. the first is the cultural reference that sticks in my head of the crown jewels more than any other is the scene in Sherlock yes where Moriarty steals them yes he breaks in yes and yes this is what and it triggers this whole and the scene itself is playful and satirical Mm. in in the way that sherlock created moriarty this in this iteration um i think really the way that the actor did yeah um and that to me is is a sort of quintessential british take on the crown jewels which is tongue-in-cheek and not that reverent but also not actually challenging exactly in any real sense yeah. exactly yeah. and then the other my other yeah. kind of yeah crown jewel story is the Kohinoor yes partly because of the nature of my research yes and it's it's symbol of mm. two competing mm. parallel histories and mm. anti-colonial history yeah. and a British nationalist imperialist mm. history mm-hmm. now those two narratives run alongside one another mm. and don't often come into contact yeah. um, so I mean if, if you were to take your parents to visit the Tower of London if you guys mm. happen to be there together and yeah. you're like, mm, let's just yeah. go to the Tower of London that's an attraction mm. and you were to be there and you'd see the Koinor diamond would it have a, a different counter counter history for you? It, I mean, I it it would make me think of the five year old Dilip Singh who got who had had the the diamond was his personal possession as as ruler of the Sikh nation, and it the the process through which the diamond got taken from him and and the neutering of the threat that this that the Sikh nation posed for for the British Empire so in terms of a nostalgic connection that would be I think that would be where where I would go uh, there is of course a whole other aspect to it which is not just the Kohinoor as symbolic of the complicated difficult entangled British Indian Anglo-Sikh history but also 
what the transformation if if it if we are going to think of it as a transformation uh from it representing british imperial history or british imperial reality as it were to a thing that tourists pay 30 pounds to go and see in london today mm. and what that what that transformation means in the context of the british nation national history and national narrative and britain's ability or inability to try to negotiate with that change yeah where it was once upon a time the foremost symbol symbolic sort of manifestation of the truth that the sun never sets on the british empire through to today where you know you have audio guides in like seven different languages or whatever as people from all over the world can pay to go and see it and what does that mean for a nation and how can the nation negotiate that shift yeah one of the ways yeah. is through turning uh, former industrial spaces into tourist sites yeah. either in their original like re- recreating reproducing or uh, maintaining their original mm. form but changing the everyday activity mm. that goes mm. on there mm. uh, or through which we won't talk about mm. through the selling off of former industrial spaces to developers to turn them into different spaces yeah. usually luxury, luxury flats. housing yeah. yeah and and how i mean the difference between so like the the gentrification of post industrial spaces uh has a has a history you know the the we not geographically that far from the tenement museum for example they are similarly post in the similar post industrial spaces which are which are now multi-million dollar flats mm-hmm. um the if uh, uh last week i was in dundee uh uh dundee in scotland ha- which which has a uh a very marked history of jute industry. Dundee was was the was a home of the jute industry, and a lot of the jute, uh, the old jute factories have some of them have been demolished. Some of them have been turned into other things. Some are now shops. Some are now uh, houses. Uh, but there's at least one which is a museum. Uh, the Vedant Jute Works is now a jute museum, uh, and it there, there is a a particular tradition. Uh, Tenement Museum is is an example of that, of taking spaces that were it that were industrial spaces. In other words, there were spaces where things were manufactured, uh, and through the after as a result of the process of deindustrialization, they are they are no longer spaces where things get manufactured, but they are spaces where a, a an industrial history is told. Uh, you have the big pit in South Wales, which used to be a coal mine, and it's now a, a, a mining museum. Uh, there is uh, there's mining museums in in Edinburgh, in Scotland. I mean, uh, there are uh, multiple different uh, examples of these ex-industrial spaces. These spaces, which were once industrial spaces, are no longer industrial spaces, and they are now staffed, often staffed by people who used to work there when they were industrial spaces. They used to work on the machines when they were producing jute, or they used to go down into the mines to, 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 to mine coal. And now they, they work on the machines to show them, show them off to tourists, 
or they go down into the mine to show tourists what it was like. Um, and there is there is a kind of transformation in there, not unlike the kind of trans transformation we were talking about last week, where the past becomes becomes uh, commodified and packaged and sold for the present, but also a, a barometer of a wider national transformation. Uh, so that, like the Kohinoor, which at one point was a symbol of of British imperial might, now becomes now becomes a a, 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 an asset for British tourism. Mm -hmm. um, these industrial spaces, which were once a marker of the kind of industrial nation that Britain was, uh, and now becomes a marker of Britain's contemporary service sector economy, which is geared which is geared towards preserving machines that once used to produce things, and are no longer deemed to be efficient enough or profitable enough to produce things and are therefore therefore become markers of heritage uh, which you can use to, to show off to tourists. Yeah, heritage. It's, yeah. Oh, we've been skirting around the word, but that is in kind of academic speak, heritage studies and museum mm. studies is where mm. a lot of this mm. literature lies. Um, or on the the processes by which heritage comes to be mm. and also the there's a whole bunch of literature on the the technical aspects of yeah. of heritage um that's less interesting the questions that we're asking mm. but is all about the industry of heritage so mm. the the scientific processes of preservation mm. um and the kind of the chemistry mm. and the physics and the biology that go into that the architecture yeah. um that goes into it the engineering that goes mm. into it um there's a whole massive industry and academics yeah. of course are involved in yeah. various ways and, and from our perspective of course all of that is is extremely political like like everything is and it's it speaks to uh, the politics of sort of the political economy of the nation and how it shifts over generations but also who gets to benefit, who owns these, you know, who owns the machines and who benefits from them. You know, the machine, when, when it was part of a factory, was owned by a jute baron or, or a mill owner. Uh, who owns it now and who benefits from it? And uh, what has happened to the economy of the surrounding space that when, when this particular factory was one of a hundred and, and therefore part of an industry that could sustain a city, now it becomes a marker of what once was and uh, it is it is not productive in the same sense it certainly isn't part of an industry in the same sense that can that can sustain a city so you have these sort of empty spaces i don't i don't mean literally empty but sort of symbolically empty spaces which are sort of quite there's there's a sort of hauntedness to them mm -hmm. because they're they're sort of <coughs> They they represent what we what what is no longer there as it were. Yeah. Um, and then you think about too the um, the fact that only some of these spaces have become containers for heritage. Yeah. Um, and have been like repurposed or mutated, mm. not in a X Men kind of way, maybe in an X Men kind of way, not in a necessarily bad way, but they have been mutated to mm. to produce heritage yeah. um a lot of them haven't mm. and so there's a it fits into a wider capitalist story mm. around some of these spaces get preserved 
for museum and heritage, which is a piece of our sort of capitalist world that we live in. Mm. Others we mentioned get turned into luxury flats Mm. and are part of a process of of gentrification. Mm. And others get used for a a weird mixture of both. Mm. I'm thinking of the biscuit factory Mm. in Leaf and other events and Mm. venues. a number of spaces in Edinburgh have been mm. bought mm. by um, private mm. investors, but have been either preserved or not, mm. and have been sort of maintained as they are. Mm. And so the the space itself looks mm. industrial yeah. and looks not refurbished in any way. Mm. But the space is repurposed for entertainment. Mm. Yeah, um, not unlike the dungeons in yeah. a sense, yeah. where the the activities that go on there mm. are leisure activities or arts and culture, mm. right? The, mm. the Biscuit Factory is basically an empty shell mm. in mm. which artists do work, um, musicians play, there are club mm. nights there. Mm. So the, there's, this, there's an arts and culture element mm. to them, mm. but also a kind of economic gentrification yeah. element to them. Mm. Um, but the space itself trades mm. on an industrial mm. aesthetic. And, and you have, I mean, the, the particular places which has become associated with this transformation. Leith in Edinburgh is a, is a good example, Butte Town in Cardiff is another example, uh, where what was once marked as undesirable industrial spaces, right? There were, there were problem spaces because there were poor spaces, because there were often racially mixed spaces. Uh, and this undesirability uh, gets sort of transformed in, into a kind of hipster gentrification mm-hmm. as the old ports and docks and factories and, uh, you know, rundown pubs get replaced with posh wine bars and smart, um, you know, uh, luxury accommodation for, for young smart people. My go-to cultural text for this is season two of The Wire. Yep. Which which clearly depicts this, you know, what was once a working working port. There was, you know, this this mm-hmm. line where someone says they used to build things there once, like that. That's we. This was a place which was characterized by the fact that things were made here, and it was full of people who used to make things. Uh, and what happens when that disappears? And you either have a, a particularly um, uh, alienating an oppressive form of gentrification where the people who used to build things get are made to disappear as it were they they no longer exist they no longer belong or you have a slightly more palatable heritage education focused um, uh, tourist resource where some of the people who used to build things get jobs uh, but nowhere near enough to to be able to replace the economic force that manufacturing industry once was. Yeah. Um, Have we exhausted our thoughts on this topic? I guess so. Um, we, we don't have solutions, do we? We never really have solutions. No, but I don't think we've identified necessarily a problem other than capitalism, which is normally the problem we identify. Yes. Um, yeah, it's usually capitalism's fault. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let us know if you agree. Um, let us know if you don't. Um, 
Send us readings to educate us. Yes. Uh, give us more examples of industrial, post-industrial spaces that we could have spoken about. Any that act differently. Yeah, what's your favorite uh, heritage tourism site? Yeah. Why? Oh, <laughs> uh, um, thanks a lot for listening. Um, and we will catch you next week. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick. And I have been Anindya Vichardri. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz. And me at Dr. Anindya R. Our music was provided by the Agrarians, and this has been State of the Theory. Thank you. Where would we be?